Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 1045 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you. It's great to be a packed room this morning. No, Overflow is, is also full this morning, and it is so good to be with you. And uh, we are actually going to kind of have a little bit different feel to our service this morning. Uh, you might have noticed we only had a few songs there, but we're going to actually sing a few more spo- uh, songs in response this morning after our message. So there'll be more worship, and that's, that's a good thing. If you have your copy of God's Word, though, I encourage you and invite you right now to take it out. Open back up to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3 uh, this morning. And as you do, I just wanted to hit on a couple of clarifications and some announcements uh, for you this morning. Uh, the first is, you know, we've had a, a humongous response to uh, the opportunity, the invitation to our community to help those families who might be in need of a Thanksgiving meal. And so we are still in need of some uh, servants who would uh, offer to take on a family, go purchase a Thanksgiving meal. Uh, you don't have to cook it and take it to them. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to reach into our city and pray with folks who are in need and just encourage them, let them know about our church and, and be able just to, to minister to them. And so if you're willing to do that, uh, we have uh, some opportunities out there in the uh, foyer after service. Would love for you to stop by. Um, you could also call in this week to the office and uh, talk to Amanda. She'd be happy to set you up with that. Uh, the second thing is this. We uh, had on our schedule the second of uh, multiple nights this year uh, that we've had set aside for hot topics. There are certain topics that we as uh, your shepherds want to take time to address uh, with our family, the church family here. And uh, this Wednesday night, we had scheduled our second hot topic night on the topic of sexuality. And uh, we ha- are going to postpone that. Um, it's an important topic. We are actually really, really excited to uh, bring the church together and talk about that topic and how we should respond to it as believers of Christ. But one of our roles as shepherds is to kind of be aware and watch the sheep. And uh, we are in a really, really busy season as a church. There's lots going on. And so we don't want to add to that. And so we're going to address this uh, in in the future weeks. Uh, We'll let you know when we reschedule that. But uh, this Wednesday night's Hot Topic Night has been postponed. So uh, if you didn't have something already planned, enjoy the night off. And if you did, now you don't have to choose between the two. There's always a weight that comes with preaching the word uh, out of a desire to get it right. And I think for me, as I get the opportunity to preach, there's always a desire for me to, I want to teach everything that's in a text. I want to try to mine it all out for you and present it to you as a fully cooked meal for you to enjoy. Uh, but as we walk our way through this Acts series, uh, Justin and Matt and Carl and I, we, we, we want to walk through Acts at a, at a quicker clip than we did through the book of Luke. And so like this morning, we're, gonna, we're going to look at the entire chapter of Acts 3. It's not going to be possible for me to preach everything that is there. So we're just going to hit a couple of, of the high points that have kind of come out in my study, knowing that this morning is not intended to be an exhaustive commentary on Acts chapter 3. But there are some things, as I prayed and I said, God, what is it that you want our people to think about? There are some things that have come to the surface in my heart as I've been praying this week and preparing. And I believe that there's something for everybody in the room. 
But there's a reoccurring theme that continues to pop up. And we saw it through our study of Luke, and now we've seen it in the first uh, couple of chapters of Acts, who, which was also written by Luke. And we see this reoccurring theme that uh, multiple times the Spirit of God began to work and be able to, to do things that were supernatural. And the people of God, the people that should be able to see that action, see that event, see that thing happen and know and go, that is God, they, they didn't see it. There was multiple times in Luke, and now we've already seen, we're going to see again today, where the Spirit of God did something and the people are surprised. They're confused. They're asking questions. And each time there's a response either by Jesus or here in the book of Acts, we're going to see it's, it's Peter again who's going to say, why are you surprised? And I began to think this week, like what, what happens in the life of a person who, of faith, a person who believes in God, who can know God's word? How is it possible that they can live in, in a creation that's controlled by God as he sovereignly works throughout it? And God is making himself plain and he's making himself clear and he's showing himself to be true. And yet the person of God doesn't see it. Or even worse, the person of God actually concludes wrongly that, that they're giving credit to that thing to something else or perhaps even chance and not seeing God's sovereignty over it. The book of Acts is a historical record of a real God sending the, his real spirit into the lives of real people and doing supernatural things. And do you know that that God is the same God today, 2019? And my desire this morning is that we would not listen to Acts 3 and to mind these truths and to hear from God himself and not approach it with an anticipation that we believe God could say something to us this morning that really could not just meet us where we're at, not just help us walk through this current season, but that could change us forever because the lives that are being impacted by the spirit of God in acts they don't stay the same they're touched by God in a way that totally transformed them and I know that as I just look around the room this morning there is such diversity such such diversity in who's here and I just know that we're all coming in this morning with different struggles different challenges different weeks different years and yet God wants to speak powerfully through his word this morning. And so let's have an anticipation that God's going to speak to us. Let's not be surprised by what we read. And as we take it out, we see God working in our world today. Let's not be surprised by that. There's two movements we're going to kind of look at. There's two movements in, in Acts chapter 3. Uh, there's a mighty work, a mighty miracle that we're going to look at. And then there's a mighty word. Peter's going to preach another sermon. And we're going to look at those two movements this morning. So we're going to start, we're going to read just the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 10 together. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word? And we'll read Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. If you're ready, say ready. ready. This is the word of the Lord. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. 
And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. You may be seated. Father God, I pray in in these next few moments that we would approach your word with anticipation, that your Holy Spirit would speak clearly through me and would bring to life these words so that we would see not only what you did, but what you want us to learn from this amazing, true story. God, we pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the the famous uh, preacher and theologian in his commentary on Acts, had this quote. He said, one of the glories of the book of Acts, as so much of the Bible, is that it does not confine itself to didactic teaching. Didactic just means instructional teaching. It also tells stories. It gives examples and illustrations of all that it puts before us theoretically. It gives us the gospel in action as something living and real. I don't know about you, but when I was a student, there was those teachers that were really knowledgeable and they would just teach you the information in the book, but it was really hard for me to gain that information, to really, to learn it and to kind of have all the pieces kind of come together. My mind kind of works in a linear sequential kind of way. But there were those teachers who were able to bring it to life and who were able to illustrate it in a way that it was like, oh, now I see it. And I was able to get it. I'm so thankful for the word of God that not only does it serve as a a, a source of information, God has revealed himself to us. He's communicated truths to us about himself that he wants us to take in so that we can respond in obedience and have a relationship with him. But he doesn't just leave it in in an intellectual form or just kind of black and white. No, he brings it to life with these stories. Now, back in chapter 2, after 3,000 people are saved, it says that that, that that group of people began to live in community and they began to have all things in common. And they were, they were living with this uncommon community, uh, community and this glad generosity. They were sharing and every day they were, were devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They were learning more about this Jesus in whom they had believed for their salvation. And it says in Acts 2.43 that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So Luke gives us just a little thing that, hey, that first event, when the Holy Spirit came, Peter preaches his first sermon, 3,000 people are saved. That was an amazing event, but that wasn't the end of it. It continued to march forward, and there continued to be every day people coming to salvation in Christ. And in chapter 3, we actually get get an example of what he's talking about, another one of those miracles, another one of those things that happened where God, through the apostles, did something that only God can get credit for. And the thought I had this week was, why this story? Because Luke, Luke is saying there are many signs and wonders that were being walked through the apostles. Why would Luke include this story? Why this one? And I think the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that, that this first movement of Acts chapter 3, where we see the story of the lame man being healed, that this miracle serves as both proof and parable. 
This miracle of the lame man being healed by a spoken word raised up by Peter. Peter grabs him and stands him up and that man is immediately healed, serves to the reader as not only ongoing proof that Jesus is resurrected from the grave, he is sovereign, he is king of kings, lord of lords, he has conquered death. Not only has now he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell his followers and begin to have him, have them be his hands and feet. Not only does this miracle serve as proof, but it also serves as a parable. Now remember Luke's goal, if you were to go all the way back, we're not going to do it right now, but if you were to go all the way back to Luke chapter 1, when he started out writing his gospel account, his account of what happened in the life of Christ, he went to eyewitnesses and he verified all these stories because he was writing it for a man named Theophilus and his goal was that when Theophilus looked at all the things he had been taught about Jesus, he wanted to be able to, Theophilus to be able to know for certainty that that actually did happen because some of the things we hear about Jesus are pretty incredible, right? So Luke is committed to accurate storytelling, accurate historical recording. And so this miracle serves as, first off, proof. It took place out in the open. There were lots of people who would have witnessed it, who would have seen it happening, who could have validated, no, that didn't happen. Because remember, in, in verse 10, it said that the people saw this beggar being healed. He's following Peter and John around. And in that, we see that he is... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. We see that this, they knew this man because this man had been sitting by the gate for a really, really long time. And they were amazed that this, this man who was lame, unable to walk, is now walking around. Not only walking, he's, he's leaping. And so this was a public spectacle, and it was meant to be attention-grabbing because as a proof, it puts God's supernatural power on display. Think about this man. It says that he had been lame from birth. <clears throat> he was poor. Every day, somebody carried him to that space right in front of the temple to ask for alms. This was his daily routine. But he had to do it every day because he was in survival mode. He had no means to go and earn an income on his own. He had no means to just sit at home and have someone take care of him. No, he had to go every day and beg for that day's provision. But notice also that he was outside the temple. People were going into the temple to worship God. People were going in to participate in sacrifices and offerings and to, to go and be a part of that. And yet he was not able to do that. He always was outside the temple, unable to participate in those rituals. Now, his placement was strategic. His placement was strategic because there was an increased level of generosity as people walked into the temple. <clears throat> he went and sat where people were going to go, and they were already kind of going to worship and going to give, and, and so they were gonna probably more inclined to give more. So it was in purposeful place why he would sit there. Because also in Jewish culture, uh, many theologians tell us that giving alms was seen as a uh, a good thing to do. It was actually something that it was, there was good merit to give, a, give an alm to someone who was in need. So they would come each week and, and they would give. But as we read this, this text, it says that he's just asking everybody who walks by. And I don't know about you, but I, I anticipate him standing there and he kind of had gotten used to doing this every single day of lots of people that wouldn't even look him in the eye. 
people who just walk on past him, people who did not want to have to even have the awkwardness of the engagement of saying, no, not today. But he maybe become used to it, didn't make it, make it feel any better, but he gotten used to people just passing him by day by day, but he just continued to ask, alms? And as he's doing that, people are walking by, but he asked Peter and John, not knowing them, maybe different from anybody else, and he asked Peter and John for alms, and it says that they do something different. Peter looks at him. And he instructs the man to look at him. And it says in the text that the man turned to him expecting, okay, someone stopped him, and maybe this is a sign that someone's going to give me something. And yes, Peter was going to give him something, but not what he was asking for. <clears throat> Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This isn't a, a magic, magician's kind of just you know, flippant statement. No, th this is a statement that's saying, by the power and authority that's been given in me to you, because of who Jesus is, what his name represents, rise up and walk. And it says his healing was immediate. He was made strong, fully restored, able to stand. I don't know about you, but I've had some, some injuries in the past where I've, I've twisted an ankle. I, I've had some torn ligaments in my knees that have required surgery. I mean, even just stubbing my toe at night, uh, I'm not, my coordination goes out the window. This man has never walked. This is a key, key thing to notice here. The, the healing was immediate. And, and Luke, as a doctor, begins to give us this explanation. So we understand medically, this was not just like a, you know, Peter gave him some exercises. Peter was really just a PT. And he just kind of gave him some exercises. He was using his bands. And then he was able to walk. No. He stands him up. And he has full coordination all the muscles, all the tendons restored to perfection. This man is not able only to stand wobbly and weak need. No, he's able to walk, not only to walk, to leap and to jump and to praise God. And that happened immediately. He was a well-known beggar. As we mentioned already in verse 10, it says that people recognized him as being the guy who sat there every day asking for alms. Consider the number of people this miracle would have impacted just in that moment. People are going now. It's the ninth hour of the day, 3 p.m. These people had regular practices of when they would go and pray. And so there's lots of people there. All these people are familiar with this one beggar that's been there for many, many, many years. And now that man is standing. He's leaping. He's associating with the apostles. He's praising God. Luke is giving this as proof that what had happened there wasn't just, uh, you know, that guy was already kind of on the mend. He had been working with some other people. And, and now, you know, the Christians are coming and taking credit for it. But really, it wasn't the Christians. It wasn't God. No, Peter said, no, it was God. Fully restored. The evidence is clear and it's compelling. There's no question this was a miraculous event. But this event, I believe, this story, why Luke chose this story is because it also is a parable. It serves as a living parable. You know, in the Gospels, when we see Jesus use parables, oftentimes he's telling fictitious stories. It's like a person. He's using similes or metaphors. It's like a person. And he gives this story to prove a point to his audience. 
This account serves as a parable to us because I believe it reflects the spiritual reality of mankind. It illustrates sin's paralyzing effect on us, and it also illustrates faith's restoring work. Just for a moment, consider how you and I were like the paralytic. Just like the paralytic, you and I were born with a disability. We were born with a sin nature, unable to please God, and helpless because of that. We were born spiritually poor outside of the family of God. We were unable to live life to the fullest because sin had wrecked our lives. It, it kept us way down. The Bible describes sin as a burden. It describes it as blinding. It describes it as something heavy, a yoke that is just too much to bear. And so we're stuck. Like the paralytic, we're unable to overcome this reality with any kind of natural means, any kind of resources or medicine or program. There's nothing that you and I can do to overcome our sin problem. And even with the most determination to be a good person or to live better, we will ultimately also come back to the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the temptations, the sabotage of sin. It's a living parable. And God, like Peter in this story, doesn't go, ooh, and just turn away. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to be around them. No, God looks directly at us. And he says, look at me. He's a generous God. God says, there's nothing that I would keep from you. I'll, I'll send my son to die on the cross for you. All that I have, my only begotten son, I give to you. And just like this man who turned to look to Peter, and later on we're gonna see that he, he says it was the faith that this man had and the healing that took place our faith, when we believe in Christ, when we believe in the gospel, the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, just like this man, immediately we are restored. Immediately we are, our sins are forgiven. Immediately they are put in the past. Immediately we are filled with this Holy Spirit. Immediately now we walk in newness of life. Immediately we have set, been set free from all those hangups, all those vices, all those addictions, all those propensities we have in ourselves. We now can live in freedom over those things immediately based on faith in Christ. Luke tells this story, not only is further proof that Jesus is God, not only is further proof that the Holy Spirit is real and the Holy Spirit through Peter had the ability to heal physical. God, supernatural, is working within the natural, able to step in and actually heal something. I love that fact of this story because it shows me that my God, who is spirit, who is bigger than all things, not confined by anything that I can make, is absolutely able to step inside my reality and change anything about my life. There is nothing that is physical that can limit me physically that God can't step and go, no, it doesn't limit me. That's my God. That's your God if you have faith in him. I, I love this quote, and, and I'm, I'm quoting twice from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Just his commentary was impactful to me, but I, I think he just sums it up. 
What we get from Christ is not merely temporal relief, but a cure. Fully healed, fully saved. We have a relationship with God. We're filled with the Spirit. We're able to walk now in freedom. We're no longer a slave to sin. Amen? And this is the point. This is why Jesus came. And this is the point of why he sent the Spirit, so that now God's Spirit would empower those who are saved to go out and proclaim that message of reconciliation. Proclaim that, that that would be our heartbeat, that that would be what comes out of us because we, we are left here to be his hands and feet. We are left here as ambassadors. We are called now not just to live for self, but to live for him who died for us and to go out. That's the point. And so Luke is showing us, hey, this is what Jesus did, but do you see yourself in the paralytic? And so the man is healed, and then Peter begins to take advantage of another opportunity. Because it says here in verse 11, while he, that's the paralytic, or now the healed man, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people uttered astounded, ran together to them at the portico called Solomon's. And when he saw Peter, when they saw Peter, Peter saw it, he addressed them. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? You know, Peter is addressing, again, a, a people of faith. These are the men of Israel. He refers to them again that these are Jewish people. These are people who had been schooled. They had been trained. They had been raised to know God's word, the Old Testament scriptures at that point. These are the people who should know God. These are the people who should know God's word. These are the people who should recognize it when God's at work. But Peter again says, why, why are you wondering? Why for a moment would you think that we are the ones that did this? Why, why would you think that this is the result of us just being, it uses the word in the ESV here of piety. That just means that we've been righteous or good people, so now we have a special ability. Why would you think this has anything to do with us? And so in this second movement now, in these latter, the second half of Acts chapter three, we see not a mighty work, now we see a mighty word. And Peter gives a sermon. And there are three things that I want us to point out as we wrap up our time this morning for us to consider. The first thing is that Peter's sermon reminds us that the word of God equips us to recognize the work of God. This is super important for us to take away this morning. The word of God is that means by which God uses to help us recognize his work. I have the fortune of having an uncle who's a master mechanic and not growing up, my dad wasn't very mechanical and so I didn't know a whole lot about cars, but my uncle did, and so he helped me when I was 16. I bought an old pickup for 300 bucks, and he rebuilt it for me, and throughout my life, he's just been a super handy person that I could rely on, and, and uh, back in 2012, we moved to Idaho, and, and uh, I had an issue with one of my cars, and I called up uh, my uncle, and I just started to give him a few of the, like, the things that were happening, and kind of the really like cliche, cliche ways, like I'm trying to make the sounds that I was hearing and like describe. And I'm talking to him on the phone, but I'm like, I'm trying to describe what the car is doing like on the phone. But you know what he was able to do? 
Not only was he able to pinpoint the problem, he was able over the phone to walk me step by step on how to make the repair. Telling me the exact wrench sizes, socket sizes, how to get certain things free, how I was gonna have to position my arm to reach in to do something, and help me fix my car and put it back together and get me back on the road. You know, a good mechanic, just like a good doctor, can kind of listen and hear what's going on, observe it for just a moment and go, oh, I know what the problem is. I recognize that. I see that. Let's fix that. Just like a mechanic, you and I should be in God's word, knowing God, growing deeper in our understanding of who he is, what he's about, what he's doing, so that when he starts to do it, which he is alive and active and at work within his creation, we can quickly say, oh, that's God. Oh, that, that's my God. Oh, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. This, that's a warning. Oh, no, 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 remember, God said, don't, don't do that. God has not just said, hey, I'm saving you, now figure it out. He says, I'm saving you, I'm gonna place my spirit inside of you, and now I've given you my word. Let it guide you. The word of God makes us aware. It increases our awareness. If we will be in the word of God every day, it will increase your awareness of what God is doing. It just will do that. It's gonna, it's gonna heighten your senses to God's work. It's gonna remind you of his presence. It's gonna remind you that he is the one that is holding all things together. If you're in the word of God every day, it will also increase your discernment. <clears throat> Not only will you know what God is doing, but you will have wisdom imparted to you to know what is real from what is not real. To know what is from God and what is not from God. And that is a real question that meets every one of us in the room this morning. What does God want me to do in this situation? You might not find a chapter and a verse for every specific situation, but you will find the truth unique because God's word is sufficient. It can instruct you on every single thing that you're facing. But you're not gonna gain that wisdom, that godly wisdom, that discernment, something that you can have without having to earn it the hard way. You will not gain that unless you're in God's word. And God's word also will increase our direction. It gives us clarity. It helps us determine what God would have us do and where he is leading. Psalm 119.105 says, the word of God is a light. It lights our, our path. <coughs> John 14, 26, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as one that gives us understanding of God's word, that he's a helper, that if we will put God's word into our minds and let it penetrate into our hearts, then now not only do we have God's word, we have now his Holy Spirit living inside of us who will help us remember and understand everything that the word has been teaching us. And yet we will walk through life going, whoa, what, how, where did that come from? How, how did that happen? We don't need to do that. So Peter's sermon, you know, these guys are supposed to be the ones that, that know the word. And it says they're running to him and they're astounded and they're wondering, you know, who, well, how did this happen? How did this man get healed? And Peter's saying, you should know the word. You should be aware. This is God. You should see this. Same is true for us. But he goes on. Verse 13, and the God of Abraham 
the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, and when he had decided to, even when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, and catch this, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter's sermon also reminds us that a debt erased is a cost absorbed. A debt erased is a cost absorbed. The gift of the gospel, the gift of forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, that that came at a price. Luke mentions here that Christ not only came and was was, was betrayed by the people and, and handed over, even when Pilate had decided this man hadn't done anything wrong. The people were like, no, give us Barabbas. Give us the murder. Crucify this Jesus. Peter, Peter identifies that, that suffering was part of Jesus' life. Verse 18 says, that what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. This was another example of how Christ fulfilled a messianic prophecy. In Isaiah 53, this famous passage, verse 5, but he, this is speaking of the Messiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Peter is taking this opportunity to say, hey, again, God has done something that's to draw your attention to him. And so here's what you need to hear. This Jesus of Nazareth wasn't just another man. He is Christ and Lord. And you are responsible for killing him. But there's another idea here that I think it's important for us to consider. Look at verse 19 says, And this has been consistent now in Peter's first two sermons. He paints the reality of their sin and rejection, but then he offers them the grace of God. Repent, therefore, and turn, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Uh, this word in the ESV, blotted out, has just kind of jumped out at me. It literally means to wipe away or to erase. Now, I wanted to show you a picture here of a plant. <clears throat> it's a beautiful plant. doesn't exist in my yard. Uh, I don't think it probably exists mainly in the Northwest. But this is papyrus. Papyrus is a, a plant that has been used uh, for thousands and thousands of years as parchment. They would, they would make scrolls. They would use this to, to create something that they could write on. And they would take papyrus and they would, they would take that stock, that reed, and they would, they would slice it up thin and they would put it together and they would kind of create these patterns where they would lay it, kind of overlap it, and then they would lay it kind of cross and, and they would allow it to dry out. But here's the thing about papyrus 
is that there was something about its kind of its makeup and the adhesive that would kind of naturally was within the reed that when you would when it would dry out and you would write on it both the the paper itself and also the ink that they would use uh, it would not it would not kind of bite into the paper there, there was, it was the ink that you would use, it had no acid in it, it had no bite. And so you would write on it and it could dry on the surface. But if you ever made a mistake writing on papyrus, all you'd have to do is get a, a wet rag or wet sponge and you would just be able to blot it out and it would just erase it completely. I think this is a huge point that I don't want us to miss. The debt erased, our sin that's been erased we're, we're as white as snow. Our sins are completely forgiven, past, present, and future. That's not because, you know, God is loving. God is forgiving. God is merciful. God is gracious. But it wasn't that he just had that in his pocket and applied that and, and then just took care of it. No, God is also just. And because he is just, he had to deal with the issue of sin and the penalty of sin, which is death. And so, the salvation that's offered, this free gift of salvation is not just something that, oh yeah, he's generous and he just gave, no. That debt that was erased, he absorbed that cost. Yet the ink couldn't be absorbed into the papyrus and that made it for where you could scrape it away or, or blot it out and make it to where it was almost like a fresh piece of, of paper where you could write on it again. But the Bible says that Jesus absorbed the full wrath of God for our sins. Ours blotted out, erased, clean. Christ absorbed the wrath of God. John Piper talking about the word propitiation, fancy word that just means complete satisfaction, says this, the removal of God's wrath by providing a substitute. Jesus Christ does not just cancel the wrath, he absorbs it and diverts it from us to himself. God's wrath is just, and it was spent, not withdrawn. Peter's saying, hey, this debt that you can have, it can be blotted out. You're, you can have forgiveness of sins, even though you're responsible for killing this Jesus. You're the ones that, when Pilate said, he has not done anything wrong to die, you said, no, give us Barabbas, take, give us the murderer back into our, our culture. We want you to crucify this man, even though you are responsible for his death. Repentance, salvation, the forgiveness of your sins is still possible because Christ absorbed the wrath of God. It's true for you, it's true for me. And so he talks about it. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Last thing I want us to see is that repentance comes with a promise of refreshment and restoration. That word repentance means to turn away turn away from our sin and turn back to God. It, it, it refers to a 180 degree shift. I was going towards the things that I wanted to do that led to destruction and I'm repenting. I'm turning away from those things and I'm seeking God. I'm turning after him. He says, repent. Our repentance affects 
our past because when we repent and, and we confess, he forgives our sins. He's faithful to do that. But it also points us towards a hope, a future. Because of faith, we have hope. Because of faith, because we believe in Jesus, we have now hope. And this is not like wishful hope, confident anticipation. We look forward to the days that are talked about here, that times of refreshing and restoration are going to come. Now, this is alluding to Peter saying, it, it's coming. Jesus is going to return and everything's going to be made right once and for all. Repent and be a part of that. Yeah. Refreshment, that God is going to give rest in your weariness. Restoration, that God is going to give you strength in place of your weakness. And while Peter is pointing ahead to these realities that will be fully experienced when Christ returns, we can begin to experience that now in Christ. William Barclay in his commentary on Acts said, here lies the secret of the Christian life. As long as Christians think only of what they can do and be, there can be nothing but failure, frustration, and fear. But when the Christian thinks, not I, but Christ in me, there can be nothing but peace and power. Do you believe that? Amen. It comes initially when we turn to Jesus. We have peace with God. But it happens every time we turn to him. Because you might say, well, I'm not like the paralytic anymore. I have a relationship with Christ. I've been healed. I've been saved. But friends, there are times when we can get lost in our sins, stuck in our sins, and we're paralyzed. We're, we're beginning to be hardened, callous, deceived, blind to what it's doing to us. But here's the promise. Every time we turn and look to God, we turn away from our sin and turn back to him. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all that unrighteousness. So where have you been looking? Every one of us is facing some sort of, of test, trial, hardship, something that God is going to use, an opportunity for God to show off his power and to refine us. In those moments, what are you turning to? Are you looking to Jesus? <clears throat> the fullness of this restoration and the fullness of this refreshment is going to come when Jesus comes physically back to earth, and he's coming. He's coming. But even now, we can begin to experience the refreshment, his rest from our weariness and the restoration, his strength and our weakness if we will focus on him. The only advice I can give you this morning is to fix your eyes on Jesus. It's what Peter's saying to them. It's the point. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Trust in him alone. And if you are here this morning and that doesn't describe you, <clears throat> Turn to him for the first time. Fix your eyes on him. Repent, and you will be immediately healed. Let's pray. God, I, I love you. I thank you for these people. And I pray this morning that <clears throat> both the, the miraculous work, the mighty work of healing this lame man through the power of the Holy Spirit and the, and the mighty word, the, the sermon that points us to the reality we can have, the hope we can have of our sins being blotted out because your son absorbed the wrath of the punishment for our sins, that both of those stories would impact us this morning, God. Father, you are so good to us because if we were to list out our sins, we might say, well, I wasn't there. I didn't deny Christ. I didn't say crucify him. Father, the reality is if you were to sit down with us and to lay out all the things that we have done that have been offensive to your holy, 
glory. We would not be any better. Perhaps we'd be far worse. And yet, repentance, forgiveness, salvation, freedom has been made available to all of us. So God, I pray now as we turn our hearts now and respond to your word that we would be thankful, so thankful for healing us. We love you, God. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen.